You're listening to Free Talk Live with your host, Jeff Beck, on the Vanguard News Network. And so if you want to call Robert and speak with him, this is your your time to do that. Uh, I wanted to... um, jump into another topic that well, maybe I'd like to talk there's two things I want to talk about one I want to talk about Evola's idea of work and how that relates to the um, action uh, yeah and the other thing I want to talk about is, is National Socialist Germany again but uh, there's two very fascinating subjects the one thing that really hit me in the head like a hammer was um, when Evola started talking about the emphasis put on work for work's sake and how uh, the this theory of the what is it the, the digression of the mass the cycles or something and I, I it, it was quite powerful in that in that in that because we're we're living in a system that is degrading over generations um, what happens is is that the lowest and the most vile among us I should say among humanity as a whole even the savages they rise to what is essentially the top and, and that uh, and that the the more the wisest and the, and the strongest become uh you know seen as the as the weak and the degenerate and the cycle of the castes i believe the regression of castes digression of castes yes this is a this is a fascinating subject and and, and he, he blended that in with this whole this whole emphasis of of work for work and and you see this i see this in these like football fans this where they say like um, these blue collar types uh i shouldn't say I don't mean the um, uh, uh, rabble. The rabble, yeah. And they say <laughs> "get her done." You seen this? Right. Have you seen this phrase "get her done"? Unfortunately, yeah. No. Now, you know, in other words, it's it's just this love of work for work's sake, and 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 and, and you know. Uh, anyway, I'll let you continue on with this digre- uh, uh, the, the cycle of the casts. What was it? What was he talking about there? Okay. Well, with the with the work thing, what he's saying is okay. that. Um, <clears throat> in in terms of all traditional societies, a, a civilization in the true traditional sense of the word arose when a supernatural and non-human force of a higher order, a force that corresponds to the so-called political function or, or the component of the right, to the principle of spirituality and, and the basis of a hierarchical differentiation of a people, are, are acting upon these factors. So in, in such a society... Every aspect of life, whether it's, you know, making dinner or uh, fighting in warfare or fixing your car, <laughs> have, have a, a transcendent uh, aspect to them. Nothing is meaningless. Everything is part of sacred action, where today everything is meaningless. Everything has been divested of, of its natural potency, and everything's been reduced to the level of, of just work no no mm-hmm. longer action towards any greater goal but just work and and that's why i think that it's it's made every aspect of our lives materialistic and even when it comes to white nationalism so many of us are materialistic uh both the higher caste and the traditional aristocracies as well as the superior civilizations and races those that enjoyed the same status that the consecrated castes, castes enjoyed vis-a-vis the plebeian castes of the children of the earth, which we were just mentioning with the uh, burials, 
can't be explained by blood, but through blood, Evola says, by something that goes beyond blood and that has a, a metabiological character. But when he talks about the, the regression of the caste, what, what he's saying is that society is basically declining in cycles of the caste. In, in the beginning, you had the rule of the religious caste, and um, th this is a society in which everything has its place, everything is ordered, everybody uh, practices his own dharma and fulfills his own nature to the best of their ability. And this, this uh, golden age was followed by the silver age, uh, you know, the, the rule of the warrior caste. And uh, currently we're, we're living in, in the time of yep. the merchant caste. Warrior caste may have been, uh, would he consider the, the German princes? Uh, Precisely. Yeah, of the Middle Ages. Uh, right. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, now we're living in the time of the merchant caste. And in time, uh, society will... Uh, disevolve until we finally uh, arrive at the rule of the, the worker caste, and then society will self-destruct. Now, actually, did not he use the term slave caste? He sure did. Yeah. It would be a period of uh, international slavery. Yeah, and, and the slaves, the slaves are the ones who are essentially in charge. Right. We're, the slaves are leading the slaves, the blind leading the blind. We're yeah. on our way there with this work for work's sake. Yeah. This is a fascinating subject, and he gets he gets um, he gets to this near the end of the book, and um, and um, you know I see this all all around us, and you know in this film uh, Idiocracy that came out, and and you know really, you know as I, I was you know watched the film Idiocracy, I, I enjoyed it, and then um, uh, I, you know Idiocracy essentially everyone was a complete moron in the movie, and uh, and I mean I mean really stupid. Uh, and they were people who were entirely ruled by by their basis instincts, like masturbation or, or, or uh, you know low humor. And then, um, and then that's where we're headed. Yeah, exactly. And uh, 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 pornography, or, or you know, it was ubiquitous, and it just it idiots, drug users. And then, uh, 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 then I looked at the Super Bowl, and, and, I, and I really, I really saw a lot in the Super Bowl that reminded me of this. And you know, this is. Um, you know the Super Bowl now is something that is 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 a sort of behavior and, and entertainment that is that is paramount in the society, right? I mean, uh, no one looks. It absolutely is. Evelyn yeah. uh, speaks of modern sports as the prime example of that. It, they're basically equivalent to the bread and circuses of Imperial Rome, where mm -hmm. people sit around watching people kill each other to ignore the fact that their culture and their society is imploding on itself. And uh, if you notice at the end of uh, Revolt Against the Modern World, he has he uh, ha has in the appendix a uh, a description from the Vishnu Purana of the of the Dark Age, and and it fits our situation exactly. I'm not sure if you've read that part. That's right, I have. And let let yeah. me read the book if you don't mind me uh, reading it. To s hold on a second. Please do. Baby, get get me that book. Revolt. Hold on a second. No Jeff. problem. Sent the woman to my bookshelf. And then later we're going to talk about the. Um, uh, if we don't get some calls here, uh, maybe maybe everyone's all called up. Um, uh, but uh, we're going to talk about a little bit more about Nazi Germany, and then we'll probably wrap up the show if there's not any calls. Okay, here we go. Uh, 
This is uh, the appendix to uh, Revolt Against the Modern World. Evola describes some of the features of this age found in an ancient Hindu text, the Vishnu Purana. He puts in brackets what he considers to be the contemporary applications. Outcasts and barbarians will be the masters of the banks of the Indus, Darvika, the Chandrabhag, and the Kashmir. They're, these are the rivers in India. These will be contemporary rulers, reigning over the earth, kings of violent temper, they will seize upon the property of their subjects. They will be of limited power and will for the most part rapidly rise and fall. Their lives will be short, their desires insatiable, and they will display but little piety. The people of various countries intermingling with them will follow their example. The prevailing caste will be the shudra, the, the worker on the bottom. Vishas will abandon agriculture and commerce and gain a livelihood by servitude or the exercise of mechanical arts. Evola puts in uh, brackets here, proletarization and industrialization. Kshatriyas, instead of protecting, will plunder their subjects, and under the pretext of levying customs, will rob merchants of their property. He puts in uh, brackets here, crisis of capitalism and of private property, socialization, nationalization, and communism. Wealth, inner, and piety, following one's dharma, will decrease day by day until the whole world will be wholly depraved. Then property alone will confer rank. Wealth will be the only source of devotion. Passion will be the sole bond of union between the sexes. Falsehood will be the only means of success in litigation. Earth will be venerated but for its mineral treasures. Unscrupulous exploitation of the earth, demise of the cult of the earth, Evola puts in brackets. Brahmanical clothing will constitute a Brahmin. Weakness will be the cause of dependence. Cowardice, death of fighters and honor in the modern political forms. Simple ablution, devoid of the power of the true right, will be purification. Evola puts in brackets, can there really be anything more in the alleged salvation procured by the Christian sacraments? In the Kali age, men corrupted by unbelievers will say, of what authority are the Vedas? What are gods or Brahmins? Observance of caste, order, and institutes will not, be, will not prevail in the Kali age. Marriages in this age will not be comfortable to the ritual, nor will the rules that connect the spiritual preceptor and his disciple be in force. A regenerated man will be initiated in any way whatever. <clears throat> That's democracy applied to the spiritual plane. Uh -huh. and such acts of, as penance may be performed will be unattended by any results. This refers to a humanistic and conformist religion. All orders of life will be common alike to all persons. He who gives away much money will be the master of men, and family descent will no longer be a title of supremacy. Men will fix their desires upon riches, even though dishonestly acquired. Men of all degrees will conceit themselves to be equal with Brahmins. The people will be almost always in dread of dearth and apprehensive of scarcity, and will hence ever be watching the appearances of the sky. The women will pay no attention to the commands of their husbands or parents. They will be selfish, abject, and slatternly. They will be scolds and liars. They will be indecent and immoral in their conduct and will ever attach themselves to dissolute men. Men having deviated into heresy, iniquity will flourish. Is that not accurate yes. to a T? <laughs> yes. Now, was that in, was that in uh, Revolt of the Modern World, or, or was that... He, yes, he, it's the appendix at the back. Oh, of okay, that's right. Because I, I that's right. Because I, the copy I have, I, I don't believe had that in there, or I didn't know it was in the appendix. And I looked it up online, and uh, it, it is remarkable. And it, 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 and although the two are very different, 
it, it, it really reminds one of, of the protocols where, where you have this text that's so remarkably prescient in, in describing what, what would happen and what was going to happen. And, uh, uh, and you know, I thought about these uh, short, uh, these, these uh, violent-tempered leaders you know some some who are who are uh, you know who, who are not really leaders. Not in, how do you, I don't know how he worded that in there, but you know someone like Bush is exactly that type of man. Exactly what he described. Yes. Yeah, and uh, and you know it's it, it's 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 uncanny what this document must be a thousand years old, and uh, uh, more. Yeah, or more. <laughs> and so, um, well, look, mo- moving in into this last segment here. And uh, uh, I want to talk about Nazi Germany a little bit more. And this is really, you know, it was kind of like maybe what Evola described as the Ghibelline Middle Ages in, in, our, in our own time. It was like, it was kind of a counter trend. Uh, it was kind of like in the stock market, they, they call it a, something that goes against the trend line a counter trend. And, uh, you know, we had like this one last little chance uh in the in the Nazi period to rectify you know the 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 um the, the course that we're on now and, and unfortunately it it failed and uh it in terms i often wonder you know as someone who who kind of goes between these poles of atheism and and kind of entertaining beliefs that we've we we have right now you know can a society you know, really exists without some sort of um, anchoring, some sort of spiritual anchoring, I'll, I'll use this term. And, you know, I, I have my doubts. And, you know, certainly Christianity has become very unhealthy. But in Nazi Germany, something really seemed to happen. And uh, and there was a lot of, you know, first of all, you're dealing with, you know, a, a people of very good, of good biological stock. But, you know, Nazi Germany uh, really led the way in, in, in many ways. And That's because National Socialism was a true Weltanschauung in the, in the absolute sense of the word. Ideas of religion, politics, art, everything tied in together. You know, that, that, that's what we're missing in today's world. Everything is, is fragmented. But National Socialism tried to put it back in, in, in the proper order. He tried, the Fuhrer really tried to uh, make things whole again, to give us an, an organic view of the world again, uh, to, to, to give us what we lost. And, uh, it I almost succeeded. It, and and, and it, I think this had real-world artifacts that we can really look at, and, and there, there, are, there are lots of them. I mean, obviously, the, the military equipment of the Third Reich you know, comes to mind, and, and of course, the, the performance of the German soldier as well. We know about those type of things. But and, and, you know what's so interesting? When I had, when I had a German on, uh, I had two shows I did with a German that I, that I met. and. Um, they were both very interesting. Yeah, and and it, what we mainly talked about was not the war, but we we mainly talked about the domestic policies where we could. Uh, he was he was under some cons, you know he, constraints uh, because of the the Jewish dominated system there that that we put in power, um, but uh, democracy and so forth. He could not speak openly about everything, but we we wanted to talk about about the, the 1930s and what happened in Germany and here just this a week or so ago one week ago I posted this article in the German section uh, a rare uh, a rare German racing car developed uh, under Hitler's regime was displayed for the first time as uh, auctioneers predicted it would become the world's most expensive car to be sold at auction uh, this race car it's a 1939 Grand Prix Union D type racer 
and only five of them are left, is expected to sell for about $12 million. Wow. Yeah, and this is in the German section of VNN Forum. And, um, let's see. Have you seen the book called Look to Germany, the Heart of Europe? Uh, no. It's uh, written by an American, a, a wealthy uh, man from uh, so, uh, McCallum, maybe his name is. I forget the name right now. I'll put it up on uh, VNN Forum. Oh, you it's know, I want to talk about Stoddard, too. But anyway, let's, con- let's continue on here. Yeah, tell sure. us about he this. Was, yeah. He was a, uh, a, a wealthy uh, guy from Southern California, and he went over to uh, Germany in the uh, 30s and took a look at their economic miracle and the social miracle, and he wrote a book called Look to Germany, the Heart of Europe, and he discusses all the miraculous innovations and science and technology and politics that, that the Germans had brought about, and uh, he compares the, uh, the German economy under Hitler to uh, the, the uh, American economy under Franklin Roosevelt and uh, with uh, graphs and stuff. It's just a, a really interesting book, a lot of photos, and uh, I really think uh, most, most of your listeners would uh, enjoy taking a look at it. I'll, I'll put the information up on the site later. But I really uh, I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you said that uh, basically without a spiritual goal at the forefront of the consciousness, man's ideologies inevitably descend into arrogance and self-destruction. And that's why with such a, a strong Germanic spiritual goal at the forefront of the National Socialist Weltanschauung, they were able to put such a juggernaut forward. Now, we have this example here of this car, and I'll read, a, I'll read a quote here. This is a material artifact produced by the uh, National Socialist Germany. Quote, the car represents a leap forward in technology and engineering excellence, said Christie's spokesman uh, Rupert Banner, adding that it could run at a top speed of 313 kilometers per hour. I guess that's about 260 uh, miles per hour. Uh right. Yeah, I think, yeah. That then, it, and you know, it talks about the technology of this car and and so forth. It's it's quite interesting. But you know, also, uh, uh, just I mean, yesterday Alex posted um, something else, and you know, we have one aspect of the material culture that was produced by uh, the National Socialists, but uh, we also have this this sculpture of um, it's it's a fascinating piece. I've seen some of his uh, sculptures before, of, if, and I know you'll know who I'm talking about, Arno Brecker. Uh, yes. And, and you should see this piece on, on, on govnn.com. And uh, I haven't seen anything like this since the time of the Greeks. I'm very familiar with Brecker's work. He did the uh, two sculptures that were outside of the uh, Reichschancellery, the Fuhrer, his dossier, and uh, I believe the other one was the Fahnenträger. Uh, the he, he's done some brilliant work, and he also was uh, working on... Reinhard Heydrich's uh, monument, his burial chamber, but unfortunately it was never finished. I'm sure it would have been a, a thing to behold. This this work by Brecker, and I've I seen the bust that he did of, of Adolf Hitler and and some other pieces, that, but this piece on... on Josef uh, 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 Torak is also quite good. He was a National Socialist sculptor in the classical style. During that time? Yes, yeah. I'll, I'll send you some uh, links to his work and uh, also Brecker's work. There's a there's some at the Nazi Propaganda Archive. They put up all the uh, sculptures that were done during the NS period. You know, the the point of this is is that you know this is really something beautiful. And whether you know you're you in, you're an engineer and you look at something like this car that they produced or or the ME262 uh, uh, jet 
Uh, you know, it's really too bad they didn't develop a nuclear bomb. I mean, well, that's uh, the thing with both national socialism yeah. and uh, radical traditionalism. We both have iron standards against which things either rise or fall. We don't say that someone just, you know, taking a dump on a, a canvas and spreading it around is art. No, art has a specific meaning. Art is the attempt to imitate ultimate reality by conforming to certain canons of excellence. It's not just, you know. <laughs> with no purpose or, or rhyme or reason spraying paint, spraying paint on a canvas. That's not art. Now, you mentioned uh, this, a book that you're going to post on the forum, uh, Look to the Heart of Germany, I think was the name of it. But look to Germany, the heart of Europe. Look, for, look to Germany for the, heart to the, yeah, for the heart of Europe. And I agree with that, and that's one reason why, uh, even today, <clears throat> that's one reason why the boot heel of Zog is so tight on Germany. Uh, but... <clears throat> Uh, there was another man, uh, a, a very famous anthropologist that I, that I hope that white nationalists are at least familiar with, and his name is Lothrop Stoddard. And the last time we talked on Free Talk Live, which was last year and months and months ago, you mentioned a book I did not know about, and he, uh, Stoddard, Lothrop Stoddard, a great American anthropologist, uh, a great academician, uh, traveled to Nazi Germany and wrote a book, and I had no idea about, about this book. Could you tell us a little bit about this book? Sure. Uh, Stoddard was, uh, I guess, the the archetypal Yankee journalist. He, w- he was uh, a Harvard a PhD. His uh, thesis was on Haiti's bloody slave revolt, uh, published in 1914, uh, The French Revolution in San Domingo, which was quite a good racialist work in, in its own right back when you could write those and actually get a Ph.D., which uh, signaled Stoddard's lifelong preoccupation with uh, ethno-culturalism and racial conflict. Uh, Most of our listeners would probably be best uh, familiar with his Rising Tide of Color. That's right, Rising Tide of Color. From 1920, which was quite influential in the 1924 reform of America's immigration laws to uh, set up those quotas which favored uh, Northern Europeans. Oh, yes. It, Madison Grant and Stoddard were, were both uh, very influential in getting um, the uh, 1924 laws passed. Yeah, Ma- uh, Stoddard was a student of Madison Grant, and Madison Grant uh, notably wrote uh, Conquest of a Continent. Right. He uh, he wrote several good uh, pieces. I also uh, have Stoddard's The Revolt Against Civilization, which is uh, quite interesting. It's an original copy. Quite good. Uh, anyway, so... <clears throat> He was a North American Newspaper Alliance reporter, Stoddard was, okay. and he visited Germany in the fall of 1939, soon after Germany had uh, gone to war with Poland, England, and France, and that's why it was, it's called Into the Darkness, because Germany was literally blacked out. Wow. So, so he, he went around society talking to Germans from Hitler, Himmler, taxi drivers, chambermaids, you name it, he talked to them. And then Stoddard returned to America to write his unique report on the Third Reich, as it actually was, and not as the, its admirers or detractors might have wished it to be. Because uh, Stoddard is certainly no NS sycophant or Hitler sycophant. He he has some criticism, but it's uh, it's leveled in <coughs> on uh, you know gentlemanly terms and rooted in fact. <laughs> so. One one of the uh, things I, I found most interesting about the book was uh, his his time spent in the uh, high eugenics court in Berlin, and uh, <clears throat> Germany was was quite clear about the grounds for for ste- for sterilization that they were specifically enumerated by the court, and uh, they are as follows: 
Uh, number one, congenital mental deficiency. Number two, schizophrenia or split personality. Number three, manic depressive insanity. Number four, inherited epilepsy. Number five, inherited hunting's chorea. Uh, number six, inherited blindness. Number seven, inherited deafness. Eight, any grave physical defect that has been inherited. Nine, chronic alcoholism, when this has been significantly determined to be symptomatic of psychological abnormality. And it should be understood that all these defects and diseases have been, have been proven to be hereditary by scientists throughout the world. And at least 400,000 persons in Germany were known to be subjects for sterilization. But the law specifically forbids sterilization for any non-hereditary cause. Even mentally diseased persons, habitual criminals, and ordinary alcoholics cannot be sterilized. And while sitting in on the high appellate court in Berlin, uh, <coughs> in Charlottenburg, uh, Stoddard tells us that he, he, he sees a number of people who are just like clear monkeys. I, I believe he says the first case I saw looked like an excellent candidate for sterilization. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was a man in his mid-30s. Wow. He was rather ape-like in his appearance with a receding forehead, flat nose with flaring nostrils, thick lips, and heavy prognathous jaw. Wait, wait is this a... Is yeah, was, I'm, I'm reading was right Was he watching Stoddard. football game? <laughs> Not vicious looking, but gross and rather dull. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's, that's just surprising. In early manhood, he had married a Jewess by whom he had three children, none of whom had showed up too well. Oh, my. <laughs> you know, Stoddard just goes, so he was pretty disgusted by the fact that they wouldn't sterilize this guy. And uh, it was Stoddard's view, to some extent, is much more radical than that of the National Socialists on race. And he, he concedes... Uh, uh, concedes at the end that uh, far from being radical and uh, heavy-handed, the National Socialist uh, eugenic sterilization laws are actually quite tame. And uh, oh, look, you you no, this is a general point, and I know we all understand this. Listening tonight, you just cannot take at face value anything you're taught about National Socialist Germany. I mean, any you just cannot take anything at face value that you're taught about it. And uh, it, I mean, it, if they tell you something, assume the opposite. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, uh, uh, it, it, you know, one 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 last topic I want to bring up is Lindbergh. But if you know anything about Lindbergh, but you know, one of the one of the of big psych psychological leaps I think that we need to make uh, on our on our road to white nationalism, and and I made it some time ago, is this. Is the calamity of of World War Two and 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 uh, and and the wrong side winning uh, in this battle? And I'm not sure anyone you know can can make the. I'm not sure you can be a white nationalist and not understand that. And you know certainly we're, we're not going to relive 1933 again, uh, and things are not going to be the same way as you made in your post at the beginning. You mentioned in the post at the beginning of this broadcast, but. Uh, History doesn't work in reaction, as I no. said. No. Unfortunately. <laughs> but we can but find great inspiration, as as we can find great inspiration in the founding of this country. But, you know, we have to realize that our country is lost now. And Exactly. Uh, and, and as things are lost to us, there are things that are more easily available to us in the Kali Yuga that were not so readily available to uh, men in other ages. And we need to make use of that. 
and uh, we need to focus on the spirit of National Socialism rather than its exoteric trappings, which tend to tie us to the carcass of a dead movement. Like and I don't think that that's what the Fuhrer would want us to do at all. Uh, and <clears throat> in Stoddard's book, he, he, they were at war with Germany at the time, so he wasn't allowed to actually uh, have an interview with Hitler, but he was the only... Uh, he was an American, foreign, though. Yes, he was the only foreign journalist allowed to even have an audience with the Fuhrer, and he was allowed to speak with him at some length, but it was understood that he was not supposed to print what was spoken about. And he, uh, you know, he car he held up that agreement, and he did not speak about what they, that they, uh, the oh conversation. Boy. But he did describe the conversation at some length, and uh, other conversations, of course, he he related the details, like when he spoke to Himmler, when he spoke to uh, Dr. Gunther, when he spoke to Dr. Ley. But with uh, regards to Adolf Hitler, one of the things I found striking about Stoddard's uh, writing was that he had met with Mussolini recently. And uh, Mussolini, obviously, uh, <clears throat> was a very charming guy. And he, 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 Stoddard said that Mussolini took a great interest in you personally. He, he would tell jokes, and uh, he was very affable, and he seemed concerned whether or not you liked him. Whereas the Fuhrer just sort of sat there and with a cold detachment, not unfriendly, he was very friendly, but sort of didn't even notice Stoddard was there as he just un unlaid, laid out his vision for the world. As he's just sort of, uh, it was almost uh, the way Kubizek describes him speaking after that, uh, that viewing of Rienzi. I'm not sure if you've read that portion of Kubizek's book. No, I have not. Uh, no, I know, I know the scene. I know, I know the scene where the Fuhrer is, is a... Uh, uh, you know, uh, deeply uh, <laughs> the Fuhrer. When he says the, the Fuhrer <laughs> is uh, deeply uh, uh, moved by when he first sees Rienzi, Wagner's Rienzi. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know the scene. Go, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a great book. I recommend everybody read that as well. Uh, Adolf Hitler, My Jugendfreund by uh, August Kubizek. It's out of print, but you can sometimes find it in old bookstores. Usually translated. What, as what did the you think Hitler of? Um, what did you think of Pierce? Pierce uh, translated a, a German. Uh, this is a uh, a fictional work uh, that I believe is a fictional work that a uh, that a that a comrade of Hitler's wrote sometime in the fifties about. Oh, uh, Bolshevism from Moses to Lenin. Yeah, Bo Bolshevism from Mo Moses to Lenin. What, what did by you Dietrich think? Dietrich Eckhart. Dietrich. What did you think? This is online, by the way. What did you think of that? It's interesting material. It's uh, basically uh, the uh, transcript of a conversation between Eckert and Hitler on the concept of Bolshevism, starting with Moses and going all the way up through Lenin. Now, I thought it was a, a good uh, indictment of the Jewish soulscape. Now, uh, some... But some as I said, Stoddard's representation of Hitler was great, and people should try to read that book. It really puts him forward as, as a man deeply committed to his worldview and unconcerned with the reactions of others, but not at all impolite. This uh, is sorry called, to interrupt you, Jeff. No, that's all right. This is called Into the Darkness, right? Yes, Into the Darkness. It might be online, too. Uh, I'm not sure, okay. but you can find it. I bought mine. Uh, it was released by Noontide Press, so you okay. can buy it at uh, noontidepress.com. Now, something that I know some people have done, uh, uh, and... Uh, I'm not saying anything more than that, is that some of these rare books like this, if you got some of these rare books, uh, you somebody could p optically scan them. Last thing before we close down, we've been going here for uh, a number of hours, and uh, uh, let's, let's end with this with Lindbergh. 
and uh Lindbergh is a great american in, in my in my uh in my pantheon of american heroes and uh we, we you know of course we know him for his 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 daring flights and so forth like this uh but he also went to national socialist germany and uh do you know anything i don't really know a lot about his visit there but he was given a, an award by the uh maybe adolf hitler even yeah, he never uh, gave that award back either, uh, even though the, uh, the the American public was urging him to do so. I don't think he ever wrote in any detail about his uh, trip to Germany like Stoddard did, so I don't know much yeah. about it. I don't know but, either. Uh, <clears throat> I know that he did uh, receive that medal. Uh, so Charles, uh, what's his name? Henry Ford also received... Uh, an award from uh, the German state, and Did both of them were uh, attacked nonstop for not giving it back, as if they had the. You know, it's it's quite ridiculous. Yeah, I wonder who they would give it back to as well. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I guess you're supposed to just you know mail it back to Germany. But, you know, it's, it was quite ridiculous. Why why would they give it back? Do but, you see you know, really? Do you see now, folks? I mean, it, well, of course we see. Most of us listening tonight are on our side, but. He was given the medal by Hermann Goering himself. I mean, it would have been quite insulting to <laughs> send it back. Do you, do you see what kind of what kind of world we lost here? We had a regime that was actually rewarding people like Charles Lindbergh and and Henry Ford. I mean, these are the people that they held up. I mean, who do we get today? We get Oprah. <laughs> that, that's who. That's who we're dished out. Uh, that, that's who you know we're presented. As as our I guess a lead of some kind, uh, it's just disgusting. This is what we're facing today, and you know I, I don't know I don't know Robert what on these closing on these closing thoughts here. Do you have any comments about our movement and what we can do to change things, or, or uh, just in closing tonight? Uh, uh that's a broad one, Jeff. It is. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, that, that's a great question that plagues us all, I guess. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, right now, I'm just working on my, my own studies and tr- trying to uh, do it, whatever I can to help out. But I, I'm not sure that the... Evola would certainly say that the uh, the conditions right now are, are not right for the, the rebirth. Of, they look uh, pretty bleak, don't they? The, of our, yeah, they do. And... Uh, Jung might say the same thing about the, the realization of Votan consciousness. He said that Votan, in reality, never died, but has retained his original vitality and autonomy. But the, our consciousness imagines that it's lost its gods, but in reality, they're still there, and they only need a certain general condition in order to bring them back full force. And that condition revealed itself in 1933, but uh, it's been downhill r- rapidly ever since. And yeah. The... Uh, the, the uh, I'm not sure if the conditions are, are, are possible for the, a, a, a re-presencing of the Aryan spirit in any meaningful way right now. I think uh, things sort of have to run their course. Uh, the cycle has to end, and we have to start anew. It's certainly not going to be a pleasant process. It, it won't be pleasant. And, you know, I mean, it just it just seems that those of us who are white nationalists are... are and, you For know, right now, I'm doing my best to uh, hold the, t- the torch of tradition myself, to yeah. uh, make myself strong and healthy. Uh, got plenty of ammunition. What <laughs> what else can I do right now? Yeah, yeah. But. Well, 
Well, look, Robert. Right now, I certainly believe that uh, the uh-huh. most important thing we can do, be doing is uh, networking and uh, forming these networks. Because uh, folk building really starts in your own house and in your own neighborhood, and that's what what's really paramount right now is that we need to build local networks that are I ready to, to sustain the fall. Because w- when the grid goes off, we're, we're only going to be able to work with those we already know. So we need to start building up those contacts right now. And uh, of course, the, the the time isn't right for any you know actions or anything like that. But uh, <clears throat> it could be quite soon, and so we need to start building up the infrastructure so we're ready when the, <laughs> the tiger slows down and we can get off and slide the sword of tradition right through its decaying head. I, I agree with that entirely. I, I agree with that entirely, and I've pushed every episode, you know, this, this concept of, you know, building these communities in some fashion... You know, some sort of, uh, you know, uh, n- and not so much the, net- the networks, be- because I guess, you know, these forums and so forth are part of that network. And uh, certainly what we're doing tonight, Robert, is part of that effort. Uh, but, um, you know, getting people in closer proximity to one another, and so, uh, you know, they can... When I ran the Vinlanda Keaton front for a number of years, our goal ultimately was always the establishment of some sort of Heimatland like a uh, a homeland, a, a natural religious community, sort of akin to the Amish, but uh, connected to heathen, traditional, primordial tradition or in- integral culture rather than toward these abstract Jewish notions of, of religion. And uh, one that wouldn't spurn technology as the Amish do, but wouldn't let it ruin their lives either. One that would embrace it in the spirit of tradition and, and work to better our people. I agree. Well, on that on that positive note... Let's end the broadcast tonight, and and I'm so glad we got together after so many weeks. <laughs> and I, I think this is going to be one of the uh, we've held the audience all all night, and uh, I think this is going. And there's so many other things that that, that I wanted to talk about actually, and uh, but it, it, a lot it, of things I wanted to get to too. Perhaps I can uh, come back another night. You would be most welcome in that regard, and uh, we will um, uh, be in touch soon, Robert. Great. It was great talking to you again, Jeff. Take care. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Okay, as a program note, folks, uh, thanks again, Robert. As a program note, uh, I'll play some music tonight and uh, various stuff, and and I'll leave the feed up. So if you want to keep listening, uh, please do. Oh, hold on. I've got a few things here. Uh, Oh, uh, this closing comment. Sorry, I didn't see these. Um, the reason I think the reason why we're not calling in is that we're a li- little intimidated, intimidated by this guy intellectually speaking. But you're right. Uh, this is what white talk radio should be and could be uh, if circumstances were different. Okay, that's a very nice comment, and I'm sure when uh, Robert listens to the uh, um, to the archive uh, of this program, he will appreciate that very much. All right, let me see if I can find some tunes to roll. I'll probably just roll the. Um, the uh, pre-show tunes that I had earlier today. Maybe later tonight I'll uh, bring in something fresh. So here we go. We'll start off, I think, with uh, with a song by T-Rex, if I don't, if I can remember correctly. Here, let me see here. Play file. I'm so glad you all could join us tonight, and uh, we'll have this on the feed up soon. Okay. And as Aegis says, I'm wishing you the best of goodbyes. Vanguard Radio. No Jews, just right.